0: Brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, advocating for Saskatchewan's older people for 30 years. skseniorsmechanism.ca. Okay, man, let's turn and
1: burn. Are you not entertained?
2: here. Yeah. The official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael
0: Ball. Hello, how the heck are you doing on this Wednesday? First day of the CFL football season, actually. Rider Rookie Camp kicked off today in Saskatoon, and Murray McCormick from the Regina Leader Post was there. And he will kindly join us after 6 o'clock to give us his eyeball test and what he saw. Usually it's just a bunch of walkthroughs and a lot of teaching practices for the rookies, trying to get them up to speed before the vets come in. That's if the vets do come in. We'll find that out here uh, very shortly. Uh, As far as I saw here, as of a few minutes ago, CFL had not given the CFLPA something to look at in terms of an agreement. Now, let me... Rewind. They may have. We just don't have a report on that yet. We'll see if we can get something from Three Down Nations' John Hodge, uh, at around 4:30. Uh, Gleber Torres drove in all the New York runs with a go-ahead three-run homer off of Jose Berrios in the fourth inning and a two-run single, leading the surging Yankees over the Blue Jays, 5-3. Their 15th win in 17. 17- Games. NHL Pittsburgh at New York, pens up three games to one, capitals at Florida, series tied at two, as are Dallas and Calgary. They're in Cowtown tonight for game number five. The Edmonton Oilers blew game number five yesterday, and they'll have to keep their season alive. Without their big time defenseman Darnell Nurse, he is out. He got a one game suspension from the NHL's Department of Player Safety on Wednesday for headbutting Philip Deneau of the LA Kings. Yesterday in Moose Jaw, the Warriors at Mosaic Place come up with a shorthanded tally from Calder Anderson. That was the game winning goal. And they had a sixteen year old net minder in net making 38 saves Jackson Unger as Moose Jaw upset the juggernaut Winnipeg Ice. Three to two to get back in the WHL semifinal series. Uh two games to one, still in favor of Winnipeg game number four tonight over there at Mosaic Place. So we will uh keep all these storylines going as we roll along. But it is te- time to tell you that our show is brought to you by spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get fifteen free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win one million dollars. Um Our text line is powered by Capital Ford Lincoln at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua, the number one Ford dealership in Saskatchewan. And that's also our local call in line at 936-6262. If you want to phone us and weigh in on anything, all the sports topics of the day, Uh, you could also call long distance 1-866-767-767. 0620 and my producer Colson uh, Schultz over there will take your call. Uh, it is uh, yeah. We'll open up the phones. You can be my co-host here. Uh, people say, "Ballsy, you're going to do the roundtable anymore?" No, actually, I had a meeting today with Daniela Ponticelli. She's taking over our pre and post game duties, and she will be um, doing the call-in show. Um, and so uh, I'm not doing the roundtable. So I'm actually. Um, uh, going to make this kind of my round table. If you'd like to call in, please do so. We can go back and forth on anything you want to talk about. But we want to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline, Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. Dave Jackson, longtime NHL ref. He's now the rules expert for ESPN. He is now joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline to talk all things refing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Dave, I think I saw it was 83 playoff games. You ref, do you remember the first one?
3: Oh, man, yeah. Totally remember the first one. It was actually Boston at Carolina back when Carolina played up in Greensboro
1: where mm.
3: the new rink was built in Raleigh. And, uh, you know, I'd been, I'd been in the NHL at that point, I think, seven or eight years. It was one referee system when I broke in. And uh, when I finally got an opportunity, I think it was in 2000, it was, it was two man system. I thought I was ready. I'd done a whole bunch of standby assignments in the previous years. And I realized how intense playoffs were. And when I hit that ice and the teams hit the ice and the horns went off, man, my head was spinning. I realized uh, it's a whole new ball game: playoffs.
0: Yeah. You know what? We talk about the intensity being ramped up and it seems like it's funny. The players are playing for free now. They're not getting a paycheck, but they seem to play harder. It's a faster game. You know, how much more difficult is it to referee in the playoffs than the regular season, Dave?
3: You know, that, that all depends on the individual official. Um, It's how much pressure you put on yourself and how well you can focus because, I honestly believe like come playoff time, the players are so much more disciplined. I mean they're ramped up, it's they're they they're playing harder, it's more intense, but your regular season you, you, you find their players the players will take lazy penalties or selfish penalties. Come playoff time, I think most penalties that you would agree would, would be they're either accidental or they're desperation type penalties. Um, nobody's taking a lazy selfish penalties. So so really if you if you just go into there and go, I know what the standard is. I've been told what the standard is. I've called it all year. Don't change a thing. Just go, and, just go and call the same thing. But you've got to realize it's being played at a, probably a quicker speed than you're used to in regular season games.
0: Well, referees aren't robots. They're humans just like the players. And let's say you get into, I'll use Edmonton as an example. And if we happen to, although it's looking kind of scary for Oiler fans, we might not see a battle of Alberta. But let's say we see a battle of Alberta, or it's a big game between Toronto and Tampa, and the fans are into it. You guys get into it too. You're humans. A key has got to be, you mentioned focus and controlling your emotions too, especially if they're booing you and that type of thing. Because like I said, you guys are human.
3: Oh, totally. Totally. And I mean, you've gotta you've gotta thrive on that. The guys that work that get all the way to the Stanley Cup finals, I mean, they thrive on that. That's like oxygen to them. It's it's like I'm going out there, the crowd's gonna be into it, I'm pumped, the crowd's pumped, the players are pumped, and you just can't let the pressure get to you. You've gotta slow things down and you can't go looking for penalties. You've got to let the penalties come to you because in playoffs they're gonna come to you.
0: Mm-hmm. This is and- Dave, this is Dave Jackson from ESPN, a former NHL ref. He's at ESPN Ref NHL. You're a great follow. You were you were talking on Twitter and you uh, pointed out the art of diffusing something that could escalate. It was between uh, notorious guy Brad Marchand and one of the Carolina players and you talked about how the uh the linesman or the referee there diffused the situation. Can you expand for my my listeners here?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, t- too many times um, sometimes in other sports as well, they talk about officials being confrontational. And I think this this just caught my eye it was such a great example. David Brisbois, veteran veteran linesman, he comes in, he just grabs the back of Brad's pants. Like he doesn't he doesn't grab him in the chest, he doesn't push him up against the glass. He just grabs him by the pants, puts his body between Brad and the guy he was yelling at, and just sort of skates him away, almost like uh, you know almost like breaking cutting into a dance. And he talks to him the whole time. He's trying to get his mind off. He's trying to, he's trying to like change the subject. He's trying to change the narrative. He's probably telling him stuff like, come on, Brad, your team needs you here. Period's over. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, come on, worry about it. Get back next period, Adam. And it's just all stuff to take the player's focus off what he's really mad at. Mm-hmm. And it just worked perfectly. There was no, there was no retribution. He got him right to his player's bench and off the ice, he went and, Nobody even noticed him doing his job, but I think that's the mark of a good official.
0: In that game uh, four between Carolina and Boston, DeBrusque scores a goal. It looks like goalie interference. It looks like the the goalie's pad gets shoved. Now, I think upon further review, it might have been the Carolina defenseman that shoved his own goalie's pad, and then DeBrusque knocks the puck into the net. So Carolina challenges, loses, and Brindamore still freaking out over at the bench because they get the delay of game penalty. As a ref, how right. do you go, uh, you know... Y- do you, still give them, do you still give them a bit of a leash and go over and skate over there to talk to them a bit to diffuse the situation? Or how do you know when to just say ignore that uh, coach and keep uh, the action going?
3: Well, you know, I I always laugh when I was trying to tell young officials, only go to the bench when it's going to benefit you. So, yeah. <laughs> you right. I mean, it's, you don't go over there because because they want to talk to you. You go over there because you think it's going to make your own job easier. Mm-hmm. Now and that's... that's where each, ref- each referee has a relationship with every personnel in the game. Some guys might get along really with well, Rod, Other guys might not. Other guys might go, you know what, if I go over there, I'm going to have to end up giving him a penalty. But there's some guys that might say, hey, if I go over there, I'm going to calm Rod down. And that's, that's an individual choice. Mm-hmm. I think uh, at some point... You need to go over and talk to him. Some guys might do it in the heat of the moment. Some guys might wait till the next commercial stoppage and then go over and talk to him. Mm-hmm. But either way, if you're going to do that, you may, maybe you tell the captain, listen, I'm not going over there now. You go tell him. When he calms down, I'll go talk to him. So, and I think that's just smart officiating.
0: Dave, did you have a coach that you, had a, you knew you had a good relationship with that uh, you could go over and, and talk to him and, and pick your spot? Like, was there one guy or one guy you knew you butted heads with, I got to steer clear or it's going to get worse?
3: I mean, I think, I like to think I had a pretty good relationship with every coach. Um, there's always going to be situations where a coach loses, uh, where a coach thinks he got screwed, or, you know, where he made a bad call. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I think of someone like John Tortorella, and that's that's one of the questions I get asked all the time, like, like how bad is John Tortorella? Because you see him, he, he wears his emotions on his sleeves, but for me, John Tortorella was one of the easiest coaches to, you knew exactly where you stood with him. He had a short memory, he never held a grudge. he'd be yelling at you, you might yell back at him, you say things, and then the next time you go by the bench, you say, "Hey, John, you know about what happened last period and he'd look at you and go, "I'm over that, Dave, like no worries, keep going That's good. and I think that just shows how professional he is and and he he was just he was easy to deal with Did and i think I think if you have coaches that you you have a problem dealing with, I think you need to address it. I remember giving a coach that I uh, had an uneasy relationship with. I gave him a bench miner in the third period of a game. And as it happened, I had him the very next day and I skated up to start the game. And even before the teams were on the ice, he was behind the bench and I stopped. And I just said, hey, are we good? And he kind of looked at me as if, what do you mean? I said, like, are we good from what happened yesterday? Because I'm over it and I've forgotten about it. I just hope you have too. And he kind of looked at me. he, He was surprised, but he was happy. He was like, yeah, I'm over it. Sort of like he was, he was glad I wasn't holding a grudge. And I think, I think you need to just Communicate that way.
0: Mick Magoo told me a funny story. He's refing an Oilers game, and Craig McTavish, the coach then, is yelling at Mick about the power plays. And he goes, "Hey, Craig, I gave you five power plays. It's not my fault that you haven't scored on any of the power plays." So I was pretty, shut it down pretty quickly. Hey, uh, Dave. Yeah. yeah it, it, and you knew Mick would be good for one of those. Uh, Dave. So a seven-game series. Let's go Edmonton, LA. It, it might go seven. Um, how often do you ref? in that series? Like, do you get game one and four, two and six? How does that work?
3: Well, it worked a lot different when it was the one-referee system. But now with the two-referee two system, um, what Stephen Walkham does, uh, historically anyways, is he pairs guys up as a two-man crew, and they stick together, and they assign them games right through game five. So you're only going to see the team once in the first five games. Um, depending how many game sixes there are, you'll probably also see a new crew in for game six. Mm. And then when it comes to a game seven, because there's so few of them, he has the luxury of picking two guys that either may be a two-man crew or they might come from your separate crews. So he you, you might hand pick a guy from one crew and a guy from another crew and put two of the most experienced guys together or two of the guys, they, they could be young guys, but they could be working really well in that round. So for game seven, it's usually a handpicked um Assignment by the refereeing. Chief. So,
0: so uh, here's a question I always had: Why wouldn't you have the same? Why wouldn't Dave Jackson and Michael Ball do the same series all the way through Toronto, Tampa? That's our series. You, don't you get into the flow of the teams and know exactly how the series is?
3: <laughs> well, the old uh, saying, "Familiarity breeds contempt," <laughs> and I think that goes two ways. Um, you you don't want, honestly, in a playoff game, you need to you need to have a clean slate. You need to go out there and you have to make calls knowing that, listen, I'm making this call tonight and I'm calling what I think has to be called and what is right. I'm doing the right thing. You don't want to have to then worry about you've got five more games with these guys. Yeah. You want to go in and just, you know, one at a time, one and done and move on. Let somebody else come in. Mm -hmm. And that way, that way, I mean, in fairness to the teams, they have their favorite referees and they have the referees. they, They don't like all that much. And if they get assigned the same two referees and happen to be two guys they don't like, it's not fair to them to have them for seven games.
0: Okay, Dave, here's the money shot. This is the big question I wanted to ask you, the the one everybody always says. Okay, it's hilarious. The NHL has one rule book for the regular season and a totally different one for the playoffs. And, and even us broadcasters, we watch a game, and let's say we'll see um, – Let's say we'll see Carolina get four power plays in the first half of the game and Boston hasn't got one yet. And then you're saying to yourself, "Okay, it evens up like marbles generally on the playground. So Boston's due to get one. They're due to get two. It'll it'll be even by the end of the game. Carolina better watch out. Can you just talk about those situations?
3: Absolutely. I mean... The, the way a hockey game is played, I mean, if, if, it's a, if it's a relatively close hockey game, I mean, you look at the score sheet, the goals end up fairly even, right? So, players compete at the same level on both teams. But if you're going to have nights where one team takes six penalties and one team takes one penalty, and if that's all there is, that's all the referees are calling. I mean, that that's drummed through their head, even by the supervisors before the game. They're told not to look for penalties, call what you see, and be done with it. And the thing, guys also say that referees put their whistle away come playoffs, and that just hasn't been the case. I mean, mm-hmm. if anything, we're seeing more penalties per game, and I think we talked about that about, you know, a couple of weeks ago. We were mm-hmm. going, like, the referees put their whistle away, and I say no. They apply the standard, and they see a penalty, they know what the standard is, and they know they're going to be supported.
0: Yeah, and, is, is there a directive from the league though, Dave? When you go into the playoffs, hey, watch for this. Watch for the cross check. Watch for goalie interference. Uh, hey, maybe uh, you know this is what they're saying about us. Don't you know? Let's uh, let's maybe go the other way and and call uh, more penalties or you know what I mean. Like, is there a directive sure. before you go into the playoffs?
3: Yes and no. There's a directive before the season starts about what I mean. For example, this season it was cross checking. We're going to, it's going to be a heightened uh, awareness, heightened enforcement. We didn't change the rule. We just said we need to start calling more cross-checks because we've let it slip away a little bit. Uh, goaltender interference, hooking and holding. So those are all focuses at training camp. We come out of training camp saying this is what we're going to focus on. And then when you come to playoffs, they kind of revisit that. They send up the same emails, the same videos you saw at training camp just as a refresher and say, remember – this is what a penalty is. This is what a penalty is, and these are good. Not- they also send out videos of of, of non calls, of you know, big body checks, of guys using their stick in a really good defensive manner, and they reinforce that. They say, watch these. These are good hockey plays. They're not penalties. So don't overreact.
0: Okay. Now you, like I said, you're human. You you know guys' reputations from their years in the league. There was a play. A couple games ago in Edmonton where Connor McDavid hit the guy from the side. It was a penalty. He got a two-minute penalty. If that's Zach Cassian is the ref more likely to call a four-minute penalty there because his reputation precedes him?
3: I don't think so. I I really don't because these games are so closely watched by their bosses, by their superiors. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys move on to the next round based on their performance in this round. Yeah, doesn't matter what you did during the season, doesn't matter what you did last year. You're graded on your games, four, five, six games you work in the first round of the playoffs. And you need to call what you see, not what you perceive mm-hmm. the player deserves because of his reputation. And uh Guys just don't do that. They are so focused on just getting the call right, regardless of what the number is on the back.
0: Okay, last question for you, Dave, and then I'll let you go in. you get got a busy day. So they always say the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the most exciting, maybe in all of the big four sports. uh, It is a very good first round. Is this the toughest of the rounds to ref?
3: I think so. I I really do. You have, on paper, you have eight mismatches, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got teams... That ostensibly have more skill versus teams that know they need to neutralize that skill in order to have a chance to win. So you've got a lot more players attempting to cheat, <laughs> and <laughs> it's just—I mean, like when it comes to the Stanley Cup Finals, people go, well, "How come there's not a lot of penalties in there?" Well, normally you've got two highly skilled teams playing each other. Yeah, there's not a lot of cheating needed. They just—they just use their skill. So I think, yeah, I totally agree. The first round of the playoffs, it's—it's it's mayhem, and our job is to turn it into controlled mayhem.
0: That's a good way to put it. Thanks, Dave, for your time. I appreciate it. Dave Jackson with ESPN, a longtime referee in the National Hockey League. You have yourself a great evening. You
3: too, Michael. Thanks, man.
2: Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsCage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620
0: CKRM. And the show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. We really do appreciate it. Ballsy in the chair. My producer, Colson Schultz, on the other side. Just before we get to three nations, John Hodge on the other side of the break. Rough Riders have signed American defensive lineman Demarcus Christmas and American running back Tremaine Pope. Now Christmas is 6'3", 302 selected by the Seahawks in the NFL in the sixth round. 209th overall 2019 NFL draft. He went on to spend time with both the Seahawks and Pittsburgh uh, Steelers, Pope is 5'8", 205 pounds, signed by the Seahawks, undrafted free agent following the 2016 NFL Draft. Played the last six years in the NFL, spending time with several teams but suiting up for uh, 24 regular season games with the Seahawks, the Chargers. Over those games, the 28-year-old had 37 carries for 140 yards, 11 catches for 51 yards, and a touchdown. So both of those guys uh, added ahead of camp course the uh, rookie camp underway in Saskatoon and like I said after six o'clock Murray McCormick of the leader post friend of the show was there and he will update us what he saw with his own two eyes I'll be up there for main camp starting on Sunday when we come back we'll go around the league insider talk it's the column written weekly by John Hodge over at three down nation we'll talk about some of the points he discussed with the insiders in that column Posted today on Three Down Nation. This is the Sports Cage for spreads.ca. On 620 CKRM.
2: Forever 306. This is Saskatchewan's favorite talk show. The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
0: And all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. Time now to go inside with our guy, John Hodge on Three Down Nation. Of course, he does a weekly column called Insider Talk, among other things, over there. How are you today, John? I'm doing great. All that talk about Western pizza, you got me feeling hungry. No, me too, buddy. I had a little bit of pizza yesterday, and I didn't have enough. I'm hungry too every time I say Western pizza. Great sauce, great crust. Colson's over there, my producer, just nodding, salivating like a butcher's dog. So maybe him and I one day here this week will have to snag some Western pizza. So, uh, Mr. Hodge, what would you think of the Ryder signing Charleston Hughes? Well, i got to say I
4: was surprised at first. You know, he's 38 years old. He's coming off of the worst season of his career, only put up two sacks last year in nine games with the Argos and was even a healthy scratch for some of that time. But then, you know, once I had some time to reflect on it, I said, well, you know, this is a move that was made, you know, less than a week before training camp. You know, Charleston has been a free agent for a long time now. Presumably that means – They've got him at a discounted rate. They're not paying him, you know, like one of the top five pass rushers in the league like they would have been when he was lighting it up in Ryderville in 2018 and 2019. And so, you know, if you're a Saskatchewan team that's that's looking for, you know, a, a future Hall of Famer who's, you know, may, maybe not the, the perennial all-star that he once was, but can come in and do some, you know, some good rotational things, can make some big plays, bring some vet, uh, veteran savvy to the locker room, you know, maybe this is reminiscent of the G. Roy Simon signing yep. Yep. That, uh, that happened the last time the Riders played at home in the Grey Cup. That worked out great in 2013, and obviously we all know where the big game is going to be played come November.
0: I totally agree with you on that one. I I think uh, that's what I said yesterday and have been saying for a bit. It's not, if he he doesn't work out, big deal. And if he does work out, I mean, especially in certain situations, you bring him in, uh, you don't want him to play every down, but he comes in and he's a second down specialist, second and seven, second and six. He comes in there. I still think he has enough gas left in the tank to get it done. And one thing I know about Charleston, I spent a weekend with him doing dinners a couple of years ago. Now, mind you, he's 36 then, not 38. And father time is undefeated. Defeated. but I'll tell you what he plays with a chip on his shoulder and when he does he's at his best
4: yeah I listened to the great interview you did with him yesterday on your show Ballsy and he certainly sounds motivated he he made it very clear that that last season in Toronto was not at all what he was anticipating I don't think that the Argos always used him on the field from a, a scheme standpoint the way that he anticipated and, and maybe the way that that he's best suited to supply so if, if he comes back to Saskatchewan, where obviously he not only knows the city and the team, but he also knows defensive coordinator Jason Chivers, right, he knows exactly how he's going to be utilized. He's got that chip on his shoulder, and it sounds like he's in, he's in better shape than he was for 2021 following that long pandemic layoff. So really this, this to me, reads as a low-risk, high-reward move for the riders. You may as well do it heading into a very important season.
0: So, my friend, uh, I'm looking at this and, uh, you know, I'm looking at your column and and one of the things that was brought up was how Hamilton fleeced Edmonton in that pre-draft trade. And I agree. Like, I think that uh, Saxlid kid, uh, from everything I've been told, he could be a starter and, like, he's a Swiss army knife on the offensive line. And the one that really... Listen, Grant McDonald's a good athlete, and he's a great special teams player. Is that just a case of Chris Jones? or are not his guys, so he's moving on from them? Because that's kind of the Chris Jones M.O.
4: Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best explanation for it. There was one Canadian player in the entire CFL who started at left tackle last season, and that was Kyle Saxley, uh, who was a second-round pick out of UNLV, Uh, dating back to, I believe it was 2018. Now, he is, I think, going to be penciled in as the starter in Hamilton. That was the sore spot on their offensive line through much of last season. They don't have any veterans at that position at the moment. I think there's a chance we could see the Tabbies actually start five Canadians along the offensive line which would be amazing. They should uh, be like a throwback to 1988, back when every CFL team started five Canadian offensive linemen. But a long time since somebody did that. But uh, Grant McDonald, to me, was one of the top players in last year's draft out of Calgary. He had an absolutely sensational season for the Elks last year. He led them in special team tackles, had 16 in just 14 games. And to me, he does project as a starting middle linebacker in this league. I'm not suggesting he will be. You know, in 2022, but he's a guy who's under contract for two more years at a discounted rate because he's on his rookie deal. And Kyle Saxley is also under contract through 2023 on a discounted rate. So, you know, I'm, I'm high on Trey Ford. That's the pick that Evanson got back. They got the number eight overall selection from Hamilton. I think Trey Ford has a chance to be a starting quarterback in this league. He runs a 4.45 at exceptional speed. So I like some of the pieces that Evanson got back, but. I have to agree with the individual who told me that as part of my column. I do think that the Ticats got the better half of that trade.
0: So who's the better athlete, Trey or his brother Terrell? And who do you think has a better CFL career?
4: That's a great question. I mean, Terrell is currently waiting for the opportunity. Later this week, he's going to be at the rookie minicamp with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was in rookie minicamp with the New York Jets last week. Uh, my sources tell me it went very well. He does run a little quicker than Trey, but he's not quite as heavy. Trey bulked up to 200 pounds to play quarterback where you have to take some more of those shots, uh, whereas Tyrell's only weighing in, I think, at about 188. Um, to me, the difference between the two is Tyrell is going to be able to do things for you immediately. He's got experience as a cover guy. He's a wicked smart guy just individual off the field. He's going to be able to learn to play safety in no time. And then he also, by the way, his first ever U sports game returned two punts for touchdowns. And then it didn't take long for the, the coaching staff to say, you know what, you are too important to be taking these shots on special teams. We're just going to play on defense. So I think he could factor in all those different ways. The limitation with Trey, of obviously, is he's only playing quarterback. He had an invitation to go to minicamp with the New York Giants where they were going to ask him to do some some other things. I think he was going to throw some passes, but I think predominantly he was going to be there as a receiver. He decided not to go and instead report to rookie camp with the Elks. He said sign with them. So for now, I'm not sure about the future, but for now he is locked into playing quarterback. That's the spot where he became a heck right trophy winner mm-hmm. as the top football player in U sports. So I think with Terrell you get more versatility, but obviously – The CFL is a quarterback league, and if Trey is going to project as a starting quarterback in this league, then there's more value. So in the short term, my vote would be for Tyrell. In the long term, I mean, if Trey Ford is able to put it all together like Nathan Rourke has in BC, I mean, the sky is the limit for that guy.
0: So um, I'm intrigued because if the CFL is indeed uh, attacking the Canadian ratio, uh, you know, as per the memo that was circulated, and I I still – Take that with a grain of salt. But if they are attacking the league that way, but then they're mandating global players and, and what, a third, 11 of the 27 picks or something like that were kickers in that global draft, It, it that's just lunacy, if you ask me.
4: Yeah, when, when you host a draft in a professional football league and over a third of the picks are kickers. I mean, this is a nine-team league and ten kickers got selected that speaks volumes about the state of the global program. And I, I don't mean to disrespect, you know, the, the league wide, because there have been some global players who have done some very impressive things. The Andrew is probably the best example um, of somebody who's come in, not only as a special teamer in Winnipeg, but played along the defensive line, got home for some sacks. Uh, we also saw Cody grace, the Australian punter who plays in Calgary, be named a West division all-star last year. So Some of these globals can play, but a lot of personnel people who I talk to complain about the global program. It's not necessarily something that they want. It's something that they feel is being pushed onto them by the CFL. And again, if you need evidence of that, you just look at the parade of punters and kickers that were taken in that draft. Teams are not looking for global receivers. They're not looking for global running backs. They're not looking for global DBs. They're looking for punters and kickers, and then they're looking for, you know, may- maybe a big body who can help you on the O-line or, or maybe a linebacker, D-line hybrid like Cedric Canton because they can play special teams. But the, the, the I think the original vision of the global program was star players, right, 1,000-yard receivers, 1,000-yard rushers, quarterbacks, but, you know, the sky's the limit. And, uh, I, I'm not convinced we'll ever get there, ballsy, mm-hmm. but at the very least, if we ever will, we are, it, it, we're not even years from that. I feel like we're decades from that at this
0: point. Yeah. I mean, right now it's turned into uh kicker draft and then guys who were born somewhere like a, that Swedish kid who is, you know, he's born in Sweden, but he did his college ball at UCLA. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like exactly. fake, fake, fake global players as it were. Um, all right. So, uh, A young guy walks away from the game. We saw Adam Mackert before the draft. His U of S Husky teammate, Matlin Riley, a top pick of the Riders a couple of years ago. has got that nice, fancy engineering degree from the U of S. And he walks away from the game. From the people you're talking to, is this becoming a a serious concern now? The, The wages, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze for some of these guys.
4: I think so. And and I think part of the reasoning for it is what happened in the last round of CBA negotiations in 2019. You know, I think some of the veteran players were upset that the rookie pay scale, especially for the top, you know, five to 10 picks in the draft, had had gone up considerably. For instance, 2017, 2018, it was very common for the first overall pick of those drafts to make six figures as a rookie, even if they didn't necessarily. Start that season they are more of a developmental player and what they did in the last round of cba negotiations is slotted all of the rookie contracts and so i believe the the, the number one pick uh for example terrell richards though he has yet to sign with the alouettes it's expected he'll sign um you know his his, his deal i believe pays a maximum of somewhere in the neighborhood of, of seventy eight thousand dollars and seventy eight thousand dollars is a lot more than, than most people make coming out of school, but if you're a kid with an engineering degree if you're a kid mm-hmm. with a computer science degree if you're a kid who's, who's pre-med pre-law you know it, it can be tough to get some of those players to say, hey you know a few years ago you would have made 105 but hey come come play on our offensive line and we're going to pay you seventy six thousand dollars especially because as part of slotting the contracts, rookie contracts for Canadians are three years in length so it's not like you can make you know a lower wage as a rookie but then you become a starter year two and and you you start making bank right you don't see any increase in pay until those three years are done regardless of what you've done on the field so you know I think health is part of the decision for a lot of these young players but you know in the n f l obviously these guys are making more money playing football than they could be conceivably doing anything else in the c f l that's not necessarily true, and I do think it has been exacerbated in the last couple of years because of the way in which the c b a has slotted contracts for rookie players.
0: This is John Hodge from three Down Nation joining us for a couple more minutes so any uh Anything new on the front? It was reported we're supposed to have some sort of uh, meeting or at least back and forth between the two sides and maybe a new proposal on the table. Have you heard anything? My understanding
4: is that the CFL made a new CBA offer uh, this morning in Toronto uh, at an airport hotel. Uh, However, I have not heard anything uh, over the course of the day, which hopefully tells me that the two sides are still meeting because obviously the sides were very far apart last week. The CFLPA was very unimpressed with the 10-year proposal from the league and uh, distributed the reasons why in an internal memo that was since uh, procured by Three Down Nation and posted on the site. So, you know, I I do still think I'm optimistic that a deal will get done. I think it's been more rocky um, maybe more so than, than people are anticipating, given kind of the tone of early negotiations. But we'll have to see when the two sides uh, break today and the, uh, the, the subsequent reporting comes out. We'll have to see because at the end of the day, the league and the players both well know they can't, they can't realistically miss preseason games or certainly not regular season games. I think if there is any type of delay, we could maybe see training camp be delayed or the start of training camp, be delayed by a couple of days. But no, I've yet to hear anything out of today's meetings. And again, I'm encouraged by that because hopefully that means that the meetings are still ongoing yeah. and there's serious progress being made towards the deal.
0: I mean, let's be honest. Okay, so let's ask this question. If if there is a side that has more leverage, is it the players or is it the owners? I mean, the owners probably because they got deeper pockets, but really, they need each other. Let's be honest.
4: They really do. And, and I mean, I, I think that the the COVID pandemic, right, where the players were forced to work off field jobs, right, go into the workforce, just like people like you and me, Baldy, mm-hmm. um, who are not uh, elite level professional athletes. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of players, you know, realized, okay, I, I do have other skills. There are other things that I can do. And of course, you know, as much as the owners lost out on wages and revenue during the pandemic players also agreed to a COVID uh, pandemic shortened season in 2021, where they also had to renegotiate their deals. I don't think a single veteran in the CFL, um, for instance, going into 2021 did not renegotiate or renegotiate their deals. A lot of them were forced to accept less. And so I think there's a strong appetite from both sides to, to try to recoup some of those, those, those lost wages. So with any negotiation, I think ultimately the leverage does fall with the business owner in this case the CFL's Board of Governors but that said, I don't think this is you know a situation like we have seen in the past at some time at, at some times in the CFL where you know the CFLPA it's not even like bringing a knife to a gun a gunfight sometimes we've seen them come with a, a butter knife to a gunfight <laughs> this year I think they're a lot better equipped and, and I do think that they are going to get a better deal than we've
0: seen in the past thanks man for your time i really appreciate it have yourself a good rest of the week okay appreciate it anytime that's john hodge from three down nation with some uh great comments there about uh, the goings on in the cfl when we come back we got ourselves a sports ticker and a pick six this is the sports cage uh for spreads.ca on 620 ckrm
2: it's time to step into the radio octagon you're tuned to the sports cage on saskatchewan sports radio 620
0: ckrm and welcome inside the sports cage michael ball happy to be your host our producer colson schultz on the other side our regular producer sean kleisinger enjoying his married life he got married last saturday i think they were going to the mountains for a bit of a getaway so i'm not sure they're taking their son casper or not but uh sean and his wife lydia uh newly married and probably having a good time you know they're they're in that stage of uh Wedded bliss, as it were. Our uh, sports tickers brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781 2090. Jays lose 5 3 in the Bronx to the Yankees, who have won 15 of their past 17 games. NHL tonight, three games. Pittsburgh at the Rangers, pens up three games to one, scoring seven goals in each of the last two games, chasing the outstanding Vesna leading candidate, Igor. Shesterkin in net for the Rangers. Got a little cocky against the Penguins on a couple of occasions this year and they stuck it to him. Capitals at Florida, that series tied at two apiece. Dallas at Calgary, that series tied at two apiece. The Oilers, who soiled the sheets yesterday on home ice against the LA Kings, will be without defenseman Darnell Nurse for their must-win game six on Thursday. Nurse got a one-game suspension from the NHL's Department of Player Safety on Wednesday for headbutting Philip Deneau of the LA Kings. Winnipeg Ice at Moose Jaw Warriors Warriors threw a counterpunch in their series with the ice. They had been outscored 13-1 in two games, down two games to none. Come home and win 3-2. Calder Anderson scored the game-winning goal. 16-year-old goalie Jackson Unger was the star of the game for the Warriors. Made 38 saves to earn the first star Anderson's game-winning goal came on a four-minute penalty kill midway through the third period. The shorthanded marker put the Warriors up 3-1. The penalty kill was huge for the Tribe as they finished five of six in the PK department against the league's best power play, including a a momentum-shifting five-minute kill in the second period. Some NFL news for you. Tom Brady will become the lead analyst for Fox after he retires from the game, which raises a big question. Um... You know, when's he going to get in the booth? That's going to be a big question. When does he get in the booth for the upcoming NFL season? Or for an NFL season? I mean, he's not going to be a broadcaster and a player, but uh, he's going to be there sooner rather than later. At least you'd like to think so. Although at 45, dude's a, a phenom. Unbelievable. Hey, we got some more sports here for you. It's Sorensen to the house! A pick six! And we start the pick six with our sports cage clutch performance. Los Angeles Angels pitcher Reed Detmers threw a no-hitter last night in front of their hometown fans in Anaheim. Here's how the final play of the game sounded. Ground ball. Velasquez throws across. cross. He- fantastic yes it was his first and he becomes the youngest angel ever to throw a no-no Detmers is just 22 by the way the Angels routed Tampa 12 to nothing number two in the pick six will the Edmonton Oilers really lose another first round series they're expected to win now the Oilers have two of the best players in the world on their team but it takes talent grit and heart to win a championship. The Oilers are talented, but so far, that's it. We're going to find out a lot about McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nuge, Kane and the rest of them tomorrow night in Los Angeles. Edmonton is yet to play a full game. In fact, in the last six plus periods of hockey, they've showed up for about 18 minutes total. Head coach Jay Woodcroft needs to remind them it's a 7 p.m. start in La La Land tomorrow night. If the Oilers lose this series, that city will melt to the ground. My heart tells me there'll be a game seven, but I have playoff PTSD with this Edmonton Oilers team. Number three on the pick six. Long-time NHL forward Patrick Marlowe has announced his retirement after a 23-year career. The 42-year-old played in 1,779 NHL games, the most of anyone in NHL history. Marlowe set the record on April 20th, 2021, when he played in his 1,768th game, surpassing the previous record holder, Gordie Howe. Marlowe won two Olympic gold medals with Team Canada in 2010 and 2014. He also won a world championship with Canada in 2003 and a world cup championship in 2004. He retires with 566 goals, 631 assists for 1197 career points. He hit the 40 goal plateau once during the 2009 2010 season with the Sharks and hit his single season high in points 86 during the 2005-2006 campaign also with the Sharks. Pretty good totals but obviously mostly based on longevity. I don't know that he'll get into the Hall of Fame, but really it comes down to two players as to who the most popular shark is ever, Marlowe or Big Jumbo Joe Thornton. Marlowe will forever hold a place in the hearts of the fans for his longevity within the organization and for the way he constantly conducted himself with class. The aneroid Saskatchewan product helped what was still a new franchise when he was drafted in 1997 Becoming entrenched within the community as the Sharks were and still that city's only big four professional sports team Now while the Sharks never won a Stanley Cup with Patrick It's likely his number 12 will soon become the first sweater ever retired by the team Number four on the pick six. As you heard here on the sports cage yesterday, Charleston Hughes is back with the Rough Riders. At 38, he returns to the Ruffies for his 14th season. After spending the 2021 campaign with the Argonauts, he played nine games with the Argos last season, registering 19 total tackles and two sacks. He previously played, of course, with the Riders, where he won the sack title both years and was named the CFL All-Star. He made 85 defensive tackles and had 31 sacks in his two years with the green and white. Here's a guy that knows Jason Shivers defense, brings a championship veteran savvy to this team, and if he's used as a second down pass rushing specialist, can still be a menace for your Rough Riders. Remember in 2013, Rider fans, the team added a 38-year-old leader in G. Roy Simon, and that worked out pretty well when it came to the Grey Cup game, scoring his only two Grey Cup touchdowns of his career. Of course, rookie camps are underway in the CFL as we await a new proposal from the league to the CFL's Players Association. (laughs) As Glenn Suter told us yesterday, he was pretty strong in his indictment of both sides.
5: That we are actually talking about, after missing a season, playing a a truncated season, we are actually talking about we might not have the players go to training camp. Like, honestly, it disgusts me. It really does, from both sides.
0: And finally on the pick six, let's talk some NFL. Tom Brady will become the lead analyst for Fox after he retires, which raises a question. Will football still exist in the year 2092? (laughs) That's kind of like saying David Spade will host the Oscars once he proves he's actually funny. Tomorrow's when the NFL releases its schedule, which means tomorrow is the day that the Jacksonville Jags are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. They're like, oh, oh wait, our schedule includes games against NFL teams? We're done. Best thing about the Jags are their games in London and the pool in the end zone. At their normal stadium, the Cowboys have the easiest schedule in 2022, which means they should have a pretty clear path to a first-round playoff loss. The mayor of Dallas thinks the city should have not one but two NFL teams. He'd actually settle, though, for one that can win a playoff game. And that is the pick six.
2: We're talking sports on your way home. This is The Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620
0: CKRM. Ah, yeah, a little relaxing music on your drive home. And this show on this Wednesday, as it is every Wednesday, brought to you by our friends at spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win one million dollars. Our text line 936-6262 powered by Capital Ford Lincoln. Saskatchewan's number one Ford dealership located on the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. And all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Getting set for Pittsburgh and the Rangers in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Round one, game five. Pens up three games to one. Surprisingly, uh, Crosby had a goal and three helpers last game, giving him 200 points. He is just the uh, sixth player to accomplish that feat. Uh, later tonight, Calgary and Dallas, and also today, it's Washington against uh, Florida. That series tied at two apiece. Dallas, Calgary tied at two apiece. And in case you missed it, the Oilers will try to stay alive tomorrow in L.A. Without Darnell Nurse, he's out a game for a nice little headbutt there on Philip Danault. Uh, Time to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline and speak with our guy, John Ryan, our Kicking It With John Ryan segment heard here and on our pregame show throughout the year, which is coming up fast. Hey, I forgot. I know you like hockey. Do you have a favorite hockey team?
6: Uh, I do like hockey. I don't. I don't watch as much as I'd like, but uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are my are ah, your team.
0: So I tell you what, that that was a gut. They've lost five straight first round playoff series, and I thought for sure when they got down two nothing against the Lightning yesterday, the two time defending champs. I thought that's lights out. there done. Same old Leafs. So uh, good on them, as they really it was a gut check. That that was a, a big time win for them. I think.
6: Yeah. You know, no, it's awesome. Yeah, just said it's been. It feels like it's been forever. Since uh, they've had success in the playoffs, this is uh, this is pretty cool, pretty exciting for for us, lead fans.
0: Yeah, you know, we always hear that you gotta learn how to win. You gotta you gotta take take a lot of losses before you can win. I feel like it's time, though, for like the Edmonton Oilers with the best player on the planet, and then Leon Draisaitl, who obviously is hurt and a little sick, I think. Not making excuses, but he's right there as one of the top players in the league, along with Austin Matthews. So you got two of the top three players in the entire world in your team. My goodness gracious, they got to beat the LA Kings. Come on!
6: You just, as I said, you just got to find a way, you know, when you're the, you got two of the best players in the world, you got to sometimes got to put the team on your back in the playoffs and be like, you guys follow me, you know, I'm going to take us to the promised land. And you just got to, you just got to, you got to win. You just got to have to find a way because that's uh, a lot of talent to be wasting.
0: No, I know that's a USC town. It's a Laker town. It's a Dodger town. How do the Kings play in that town?
6: Uh, you know, it, it, you, you don't hear much about the Kings. Uh, it's very rarely you hear everything about them. But you know, at the same time, it's such a big area. You know, with uh 10 million people in the county, that they still they still draw well because you know you only need 17 or 18 thousand of those 10 million to uh to draw well. But it's not a not a ton of talk about them. It's it's really a Dodger a Dodger Laker town for the most
0: part. Yeah, and the Lakers are terrible. Jeannie Buss said today she's not happy with the Lakers, but that's her own doing. She they they let LeBron run that team and. He does that with a lot of teams. He he tinkers with it. They might have a good couple of years, and then generally every team that he tinkers with goes in the pooper, if you know what I mean.
6: Yeah, well, it's crazy. It's the only sport really like that where you can just have one guy, you know, decide where he's going to sign and then call up three or four of his friends, or sometimes two of his friends, and just go win a world mm-hmm. championship. It's it's almost, I don't want to say it's that easy, but it's just, you know, that's the way basketball it is when you really only need, you know, six or seven players uh, and, you know, two or three kind of control a game. It's, uh, you know, it's kinda of been going on since he did that with uh, Miami back however many years ago and uh I kinda of like the old days like Michael Jordan and you know the Isaiah <laughs> Thomas days where they had their had their team, they they built them up in the draft and you know, they just didn't uh, call a couple of buddies to come over and win, win one with them.
0: Back to hockey for a second. Just talking, we talked about LeBron, we've talked about McDavid. How about Sidney Crosby, man? This guy, he just, he's a workhorse, he's a leader, he's a... a, a there's not enough adjectives to use for this guy. He had one goal and three assists the other night, and uh, he's one of those guys, he's kind of like a Jordan. That that Rangers goalie was uh, mocking the Penguins at the end of the regular season, waving goodbye to them when he got a shutout, and they put up 14 goals in two games, uh, Crosby does play the chip on his shoulder.
6: Yeah, I love Sidney Crosby. I've loved him since he uh since he came out however many years ago now. I felt like he was so young when he came out and now he's the old man. Um, but, yeah, I, I always love watching him. I was, I was a big fan. It'll be interesting to see how he goes down in history, like in terms of he came out at the same time as Ovechkin, right? So who, yeah. who goes down as a better player, him or Ovechkin, do you
0: think? Yeah, see, I think Ovechkin came out a year before him, so he's a year older than Crosby. I think Ovechkin came out in the 2004 draft, and he came out in the 2005 draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Crosby did – oh, and he breaks in and almost scores again right off the start. Um, Crosby did – what uh? What Gretzky did? Gretzky wasn't challenged back in the day, and so he went to Lemieux, and he basically told Mario Lemieux, "Quit, quit smoking two packs a day, quit drinking wine, take your stuff seriously, because you could be the best player in the league." And he and he said in a book that I did that because I was bored. I need somebody to challenge me. If you remember back in the day, Crosby was rolling with the golden goal and Stanley Cups, and Ovechkin was a one-dimensional player, and then he kind of. He kind of quipped at him, you know, about how he was a showboat in the media there. And ever since then, I don't know, I don't think they hate each other. I think it was kind of the same thing because Ovechkin, I like Ovechkin. He's got a two-way game going now and they won a Stanley Cup. So I think Crosby almost did the same thing to challenge himself.
6: Yeah, no, I might agree with that. I think that's a pretty... I'm a big fan of Ovechkin too for, uh, for as far as the uh, Europeans go. Uh, I'm a fan of his. But... uh yeah, I think, I think he's a colorful character. I think he's good for the game, too. So I think it's, it's been pretty fun to watch over all these years. Kind of those two guys go back and forth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, um, you know, as we uh, as we get ready for the CFL, and before I get to that, I wanted to talk a little uh, baseball and National Football League for you. I actually wouldn't mind having you for two segments, John, if I can have you, and I'll uh, talk no CFL problem. on the back half. Let's talk baseball for a second. Now, this guy isn't... Uh, He's not underrated, but he kind of is underrated. You know who's having a. I, and I picked this guy at the start of the year before one pitch was thrown. I said the National League MVP this year would be Manny Machado. And he is he's, he's hitting the stuffing off the baseball with Tatis out. Like, he, he's in San Diego. If he was in New York with the Yankees or the Mets, a lot of people would be talking about this dude.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I know, uh, I know what it's like playing on the West coast and not a lot of people talk about you unless you're playing in LA. So San Diego is a little bit like Seattle, uh, was back when we played on the Seahawks, but no one really talked about it, but he's had, I think he's bad like three sixty-eight or something like that. He just probably, you know, the best player in the world through, uh, 30 games. Uh, he's, uh, I mean, he'd be the pick right now in my opinion for the national league MVP, but, uh, I know you're, you're <laughs> a little bit of a Homer with your, your yeah. San Diego fan, but, uh, I'm uh, I'm 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 all in on Machado this year for sure.
0: So, we talk about your favorite teams. The reason I like the Padres is cuz of Tony Gwynn. The guy could hit anything. Like the year the year that the 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 lockout year when they the, the strike year of 95, I believe, or 94, 95, he was hitting like Four hundred. He had over four, uh, over a four hundred average. Probably would have been the first guy since Ted Williams. uh But that's why I really like the Padres for no other reason than that. And then yeah. just kind of followed them along. Was there a guy that got you liking a certain team, like the Blue Jays, or like the Leafs, or like you know uh, the Riders?
6: Well, for me, for you know, obviously growing up in China, I'm a big Rider fan, and for baseball, growing up in Canada, Toronto. Uh, but for football-wise, I loved watching Deion Sanders. I thought he was just electric. I thought he had uh, you know, the two-way athlete thing going, and that's why I followed the Atlanta Falcons uh, growing up, uh, which is, you know, you never realize how people <laughs> pick their team from a place like Saskatchewan. But yeah. I followed the, the Falcons because I loved Deion Sanders.
0: No, absolutely. That's And, and that's kind of why I like the San Diego Chargers. I still call them that, by the way. Yeah. We only got one game a week up here. One NFL game a week. Imagine that. And the very first game I watched was the that eighty-two playoff uh, divisional round game where Kellen Winslow, the tight end, had the all-world game. And it was so hot and humid. He played special teams too and blocked a field goal and they had a lug him off the field at the end. They won the game and went to the AFC championship game against uh, Cincinnati in the Freezer Bowl the next uh, week. But they threw the ball like a CFL team. So I'm like, okay, Dan Fouts, Eric Coriel, they're firing it all over the field. I'm going to cheer for the Chargers. Same reason I like Dan Marino. That's kind of why I started to like those two teams.
6: Yeah, that's, that's great. I actually played with uh, Kellen Winslow Jr., his son, and I uh, <laughs> haven't had a chance to visit him in prison yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny how you pick your teams. and I love the, I love the way, uh, you know, I remember as a kid, we used to get the Detroit feed. So we'd get the uh, Detroit football game, but, you know, you'd get one or two a week. And I always remember coming home on Thanksgiving and that one, you know, instead of the Flintstones, there'd be a Detroit Lions playing at, the, you know, 1130 or 12 o'clock in the morning. It was always, always funny.
0: <laughs> so so uh, here's, here's a little sidebar. Uh, remember, family show. But Kellen Winslow Jr., did you, did you have any sense he was that messed up when you talked to him, when he was your teammate?
6: No, no. I thought I thought he was at the time. I thought he was a, a normal guy. You uh, I mean I don't want to talk too much about it, but if you yeah. want to Google it, he's yeah. uh, he's far from a normal guy. He's about as weird as they possibly get. So, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're if he's around your grandma, keep her <laughs> keep her away.
0: Uh, absolutely. Hey, speaking of the NFL, I've never really asked you this in this forum can you give me a good give me a good russell wilson story you have a good russell because he's now uh hailed as the savior in denver they've jumped up in the odds to win the super bowl and rightfully so give me a good russell wilson story that we maybe don't know
6: <laughs> i i uh i don't have that many russell wilson stories he didn't give you very many opportunities because he was so upbeat and, you know he was uh kind of that always that uh that that team guy uh my two favorite stories about him I can't I can't tell on this on the air. Oh, okay. Uh I think I think I've probably told you one of them before. I got I got a second one, it's a great one that I can uh tell you or if anyone wants to come up and ask me about it. Yeah. But uh most of my stories about him are are just being about the you know, just the, the team leader, all the all the guy that you think he's gonna be and he's just kinda uh nonstop, relentless uh competitor. But uh, I wish I had a better story that I could tell on the air because I have about three really good ones, but how about, not, uh, not for this.
0: how about your buddy Marshawn Lynch uh, riding the Zamboni there at uh, with the <laughs> Seattle Kraken, and he was he visited the Argos too recently.
6: Yeah, I, I, I love Marshawn. I'm, I'm really glad that people are starting to see his personality over the last, uh, you know, kind of since he retired. Because you know when he, when I played with him all those years, he wouldn't talk to the media. Uh, I thought he was very misunderstood by uh, a lot of fans at the time. Peel uh, people would often come me and be like, Oh, that guy's such a such a hole or whatever and I was like, He's actually not, you know, he's actually not at all. He's one of the best teammates I've ever had and uh I still say that to this day. So I'm really glad that people have seen his personality now doing th- doing things like doing donuts on a NHL Zamboni or uh all the other all the other uh antics he pulls are pretty fun to watch.
0: John, uh, you and I kind of share something like you grew up a, a Rider fan. You were a season ticket holder and through, you know, the winding road of professional football, you find your way back to Saskatchewan. And that's kind of the coolest thing I've been asked a lot of times. Hey, Ballsy, what's it feel like to be the voice of the Riders?" And when they tell me this, I, I just did an interview with Global Morning Show that'll air tomorrow. And I'm like, it still hasn't sunk in, but what's going to be cool for me, and I don't know if. I'll get around it this first year's I grew up dreaming of doing this job and commentating games to myself in my head and to think I'm going to be in a booth where people could be at the lake, uh, driving on the highway on their tractor. And, and I think it takes me back to like 1979, 1980, when I was driving around listening, I imagine that was the same thing for you punting the football. Yeah, for
6: certain. And, uh, I've, uh, Congratulated! You privately, but want to congratulate in front of a uh, in front of your audience because uh, what as you said what you've uh, achieved has been amazing. I remember when you were just young on the Wolf and and following you back in the day. So uh, I just want to congratulate you for that. I'm very very proud of you. and Well deserved. And really, it's uh as you said, it's you're not really the voice of the riders. You you become the voice of Saskatchewan. And uh, I remember you know all the guys that I used to listen to coming up and uh that's truly you know that that voice that represents your youth where whether it be Carm cartary or, yeah. or whoever yeah and uh i think that's going to be pretty cool for you for uh a lot of uh, kids are going to think back on their days and listen to the Riders and then and, and think of you. So uh, congratulations again, buddy. Super yeah, proud of you. I,
0: I Thanks, man. But I didn't want to make that about me. Like, what was it like for you the first time <laughs> you the first time you went on the field and you're punting in a rider? You won a Super Bowl. You went as high as you could go in football. Yeah. But still, it had to be cool being in a rider jersey playing in a game.
6: Yeah, it really was. It's, you know, like, like you, you know, I, I grew up. Uh, you know, wanted to be a rough rider, you know, had season tickets from 1990 until the day I was drafted in 2004. So uh, I didn't miss too many games and, uh, you know, just to be able to uh, put on that jersey and go on that field uh, was pretty special. I still remember the first time I got to be on that field uh, as a professional in, in a Winnipeg jersey, in Taylor field, that was that was obviously special, but to be able to put on the, the rider jersey and go out in front of that crowd was really, uh, you know, 8-year-old John Ryan would have been would have
0: been pretty proud for sure. Let's take a break. We'll come back with John on the other side more of kicking it with John Ryan Football Royalty in this town. It's brought to you by spreads.ca. This show is on 620 CKRM.
2: The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620
0: CKRM continuing our conversation with john ryan kicking it with john ryan football royalty in this town super bowl champ all-star punter with the rough riders free agent right now are you still working out how's that uh, that ankle injury coming
6: so uh, i'm still working out uh every every day and uh it's coming along well i kind of started to feel back to normal in the last uh you know month or so and uh able to kick without pain and uh, finally be able to kind of put in the uh, the the work that i need to if i do want to uh continue to play and uh i i won't sign anywhere or, or kind of reach out to anyone or, or work on that until i know that i'm at the level that i want to be at and i'm just not quite there yet
0: is the fire still there
6: yeah it is you know some there, of there, there's been days during this process where i pretend like it's not but uh i think uh my wife sarah kind of obviously is right through that and knows i'm just trying to uh make myself feel better but uh yeah it, it, it's still there uh you know we'll, we'll see what happens as the, the season goes on
0: mm-hmm. john ryan joining us here on the western pizza hotline what do you think of the rough rider signing charleston hughes and bringing the sack master back into the fold do you think he he told us yesterday he believes he isn't a true 38 year old he does have a lot left in the tank how do you feel former teammate of his.
6: Yeah, I just I just uh, I just saw that today and I was uh, I was happy for him. He was a, he was a great teammate, a great uh, a great guy to be around. And uh, you know, he had a great season back in in 19. Um, you know, I think I think he still I think he still has it. So, um, I I was very glad that he uh he was signed. I think he'll bring a really great, you know, veteran leadership to that locker
4: room.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you, I said earlier on the show, if you used him as a situational pass rusher, uh, you know second down specialist uh second and six second and seven he can still get to the quarterback and make a difference i don't think he's an every down guy but in certain situations for sure
6: no for for sure i think he's still he still got it uh i, just, I don't think he's gonna be an every day or every uh down guy um and i think it, i think it's just a great signing i think that i don't know what the contract details are but i'm assuming it's not the you know what what he was getting you know seven or eight years ago with the, the big uh, all those zeros behind his uh, contract but you know, to bring in a guy probably making a little bit less than he did before, I think it's a great signing.
0: Uh, he 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 said it was an eye opener. Said it made a mistake leaving. Said had he been, uh, he did some uh, business management course or business management project, project course, and he said had he taken that before, the whole thing with Saskatchewan went down, he probably would have uh, weighed the pros and the cons more, and and probably would have stayed. My question: He was a guy who played here and just you know knows the lay of the land. How much do guys appreciate playing here once they've played here? I know Moncrief left, went to the Rams, went to Edmonton, but then didn't even really give him a chance to negotiate. He came here, he was coming back to Saskatchewan, he missed it so much. It really is as close to the NFL as you can get in this league, isn't it? In terms of atmosphere and everything like that? Oh, definitely.
6: Yeah, it's a a class organization. Just obviously, uh, you know, the facilities are as close to the NFL as you can get, and then, you know, the stadium and the fans, and uh, the way you treat in that community is really, uh, you know, a lot different than probably playing in Vancouver. Say, uh, I was fortunate that I got to play for Winnipeg, who's also one of the class yeah. organizations in the, in that league, and got to experience that. I haven't had to, you know, sit on a, a bench in Toronto in front of five thousand fans every every Friday night. So I'm thankful for that, and I think that the the atmosphere really is as close to the uh, NFL being getting down in Saskatchewan.
0: You know what amazes me, John, is this happens every three years. It's like I, I, Glenn Suter said it best yesterday, and I echo what he said. I'm actually kind of disgusted that we are at this point on both sides and we still don't have a deal done as we're on the verge of actual training camp. Like, it is ridiculous, actually.
6: It, it, just, it, it, it gets old. It gets really old, you know. And uh, just as a guy for most of the last 20 years, just kind of following it from afar, uh, but also being, being around it for those uh, five years that I was in the CFL, it it just it gets annoying, and um, I just wish we could settle on something long distance. It feels like the uh, the, the the owners or the the CFL they always want to go so far one way, and the players always want to go so far the other way, and then eventually they meet in the middle. And I just wish they'd meet in the middle a lot sooner to uh you know make, a, make it easier for everybody
0: yeah so Pittsburgh just scored Gensel back uh, Banks went in from behind the net so it's one nothing Pittsburgh trying to eliminate the Rangers nine and a half to go in the first couple more minutes here with John Ryan yeah like the 10-year no raises if that's to be believed it was a memo circulated 10 years no raises what what players association in their right mind is going to sign that but with with the advent of betting now with genius sports marketing, you think we could come to some sort of compromise where, based on revenue, you could see some increases and, and maybe go with a five-year deal. I think five's reasonable.
6: I think that's reasonable. Ten, ten's ridiculous, and ten with no pay increase is like absolutely. <laughs> no, that just that just a waste of time. So I think we need some more. Uh, I don't know if we need more creative minds in there to kind of get like what you're talking about with revenue sharing, or, or what have you, but um you know it, it, i think it's going to get done i feel like the cfl for as long as forever has always gotten everything done in the 11th hour whether it be the the ticket-a-thon that they hosted by bill right back in the mid-90s you probably remember <laughs> yeah, in the, I, had, do. Uh, I do i do had until midnight to sell 200,000 tickets for right or whatever it was and then yeah. in the last minute we got enough it did, i feel like everything the cfl does in the 11th hour and, this is gonna get done. It's a. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, you know when, but yeah. it, it'll get
0: done. Put the. They should have called it. Put the gun to Gainer's head is what they should have said because that's kind of what. That That's, yeah. that's kind of basically what, what it was. That's kind of <laughs> what it was. Um, yeah. No. Like. And and that's the thing, man. It, it's just. It it is very disappointing because it takes away from. We need it, We're talking about so much negativity. We need to talk about positivity. And and here's the thing, though, that bugs me. I I wonder. Like I know, the memo went around to the um, to for, to the players' association uh, from their membership, but I have a tough time believing that the Canadians in the boardroom—I'm talking the, from the management—would be in favor of eradicating the Canadian ratio. Don't you think that was a little extreme, maybe on the players' association side, just to kind of make some waves? Because I can't, I can't see that.
5: Yeah, I just can't even
6: imagine that coming out of someone's mouth. <laughs> to be honest, with with uh, having a Canadian in the room and having having someone say that, so uh, man, I I just don't know. I feel like we're kind of hearing more of one side of it through uh through the media, which is you know uh, partnered with with the CFL in a lot of a lot of ways. Uh, we can talk about TSN or whatnot, but uh, yeah, you know I don't think it's as extreme as they're acting. I hope it's not at least, but uh, yeah, let's just uh, let's just get this done. I know. I've been through this in the NFL a couple times, too, and I think it might be a little bit different. The NFL, they're trying to figure out how to divide up up profits, and they they tell us in the CFL they're trying to divide up losses. So it's a little bit different of a situation. But at the same time, as you said, with the, the sports gambling, new TSN contract coming up, uh, they, I don't think it necessarily has to be dividing up losses anymore. I think there is there is money to be had if they if they if they do things correctly.
0: Okay, so uh, we'll let you go. I just got to point this out. You're with us here, kicking it with John Ryan on the pregame show. If you you have to give me a heads up if you're going to join another team because that would be a conflict of interest. I can't do kicking it with John Ryan, punter of the Blue Bombers, on a Ryder broadcast. You know what I'm saying, man?
6: Well, or we just do some creative
0: scheduling, whatever. whatever. Okay. Hey, John, thanks for this, man. Enjoy your evening, okay?
6: Anytime, thanks, buddy.
0: That's John Ryan kicking it with John Ryan. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll do a little Regina Red Sox update. Plus, we hear from Farhan Lalji of TSN. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on six twenty CKRM. Brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism. Our province's older people deserve to live independently and affordably in their own communities and homes. Learn more and join the movement at skseniorsmechanism.ca.
2: Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620
0: CKRM. I want to give you a Regina Red Sox update. Their home opener is May the 31st. They're still looking for four families to billet players. For any information, or for more information, go to the uh, Regina Red Sox website. And when we talk Regina Red Sox baseball, we want to say uh, it's brought to you by Kevin's Marine. Make the most of summer with a boat or pontoon from Kevin's Marine in Fort dot kevinsmarine.com. And this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends, at um, Nick service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781-1077. We are joined on the phone by TSN's Farhan Lalshi. So, TN, uh, so uh, Farhan, are we to believe that it was Chris Jones that has the history of retribution against players, and that's why Nick Arbuckle was in rookie camp?
7: Well, uh, it's a good question. Um, I'm not sure what the history of retribution is. I thought that was strong language, you know, refreshingly strong, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I just think it's a really competitive situation in Edmonton. I think we've all, we, you know, we all know where things are at as far as uh, Nick Arbuckle is concerned. You know, we've reported on it earlier. There's, there's a lot of people who don't believe that when uh, kickoff comes for the start of the regular season that Nick Arbuckle is necessarily going to be an elk. He's up against it to make that team because of his contract so um you know I've said before that if he's not the starter um I don't know that he makes that team as a backup right so uh, I think that there was some concern around his particular situation and falling further behind uh, if he doesn't get a chance to work with the coaches um for these extra three days and even if they don't get on the field apparently you know my understanding is he didn't he didn't take any physical reps today but both he and Taylor Cornelius were in all the meetings and film sessions and everything like that and all the installs so that matters and, and they just don't want to put him in a situation where uh, it becomes even harder um, every other team has their starting quarterback set the Edmonton Elks do not and so they had to make sure that uh, you know if they were going to do it it had to be fair and, and meaning Cornelius was involved too and my understanding is he got support from other quarterbacks around the league you understood he was in a tough situation and wanted to give him every opportunity to to just you know, be in a good position.
0: Sometimes when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. That's how the old saying goes. Is that the case for the Montreal Alouettes, Vernon Adams, and Trevor Harris?
7: Yeah, and the Elks have seven, right? Yeah. Um, as, far as, as far as... I'm talking, t- t- what,
0: what I'm talking about, Farhan, though, is like a Burgess and Austin, you know, like a Huffnagel barnes Like, that, that. they're two pretty equal quarterbacks. Could it be divisive in the locker room?
7: It could be, yeah. And I to be truthful, I think they made a mistake bringing in Trevor Harris, to, to be honest, right? Um, and, you know, if you believe that Vernon Adams is your guy, then I'm not sure that Trevor Harris is the guy you wanted to bring in. Um, but, you know, big picture, he gives them a little bit of a security blanket. Now, uh, Vernon Adams is a completely different type of quarterback. Uh, I know that Kahari Jones has belief in Vernon Adams. And, you know, I think the expectation is is that he can return to his 2019 form, Uh, and be better than he was in 2021 and um, you know that's going to happen like this is not going to be a situation where the ball gets handed back and forth if if Trevor Harris is going to play it's going to be because of a sustained pattern of ineffective play for Vernon Adams uh, or injury obviously but it's it's not going to be a hey you know game one you struggle game two you're going to get a quick hook it's not like that Uh, so he is the quarterback Vernon Adams is the quarterback and it's going to take a lot to unseat him now what would have happened last year uh you know because vernon was up and down and and if trevor harris was in that room what would have happened interesting question Mm -hmm. but uh you know you you are right that it can be difficult in a locker room that said i do believe that the receivers in that room also have belief in vernon adams
0: this is farhan lalji uh Great uh, reporter with TSN in a number of different uh, platforms or on a number of different platforms, uh, football and hockey being two of the big ones. We'll get to a couple of hockey things in a minute. So what do you what do you make of this CBA thing? What do you, you think is going to happen here? Is it much ado about nothing? Or this time to the players, will we have a couple of days? I can't see it more being more than a couple of days of training camp, if that.
7: Yeah, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see if they actually go – so far as to strike how the league responds to that and it could it it could happen a number of different ways right so first of all i don't think they're going to strike i I do think they're going to get something done over the course of the next 72 hours enough to at least get them on the field of training camp right and there are complications around how to conduct a lawful strike given the labor law situation in alberta and quebec so that complicates things and i know everybody understands that there's a 95 percent strike mandate vote which is different than actually voting to go on strike because at the end of the day if they decide they want to go on strike generally what happens is the pa puts a final proposal from the league on the table and then players have a chance to vote on that and you know they went through that in 2019 so you know i the 95% that ain't going to happen like that even if they vote to go on strike it's not going to be 95% when they get a final vote done so so that's a challenge as well uh, and again i do think something's going to get done but if it didn't and if they did go on strike for a couple of days how does the league approach it do they all of a sudden think oh wow we underestimated these guys and potentially make one or two more concessions or do they say all right gloves are off we're going to open up training camps and we're going to allow you to cross the picket line because that could also happen Mm -hmm. right so um but again it's been awfully quiet today and they've had a marathon session uh, and i think that's a good thing you know so uh we'll see what happens at the end of the day and what reports we potentially get um from our sourcing and whether or not they can uh, whether there's been some movement. My understanding is that there has been a little bit of meaningful movement um, from earlier today. And, and again, I don't, am not suggesting for a second, it's enough to get a deal done, but that there has been some meaningful movement to, to allow them to kind of work off some things and, and push this thing forward. And, and my belief is it's going to get done, but, I'm not going to say it's a much ado about nothing. I think the players are serious about it,
8: mm-hmm.
0: but
7: I also think they were serious in 19, and it's tough to take that final plunge.
0: Do you think they could go back to their 19 deal and then continue to negotiate as the season goes along? You know, just kind of reset to back then until uh, till they can work uh, on something uh, more substantial? I don't think
7: so. Uh, and, and I say that because the monetary issues matter to the players. Yeah. Right? And understand that there was no salary cap increase in 20 or 21. There was no salary at all in 2020, Yeah, right? Because the season doesn't get played. And then in 2021, you get a, you get a prorated version of it. Um, so I, I don't think so. I, you know, and I, I think they want to get some monetary concession here. So I don't think you can just go back to 19 and push that forward. And, and honestly, they need to get this done. And they need a minimum five-year term on this deal because Canadian football fans are sick of listening to this for the last four years. And look, I'm, I'm on the players' side, right? Yeah, me if you, too. If you ask me to me pick, too. Yeah, me too. Right? Like, I, I think, uh, you know, I've always felt CFL players are underpaid. I understand the economics of the league. But, you know, you may want to try actually pushing this forward and make, getting these guys up to a better wage. And I think that more than anything will improve your product, right? When you see players like Matlin Riley step back and Adam Mackert step back from professional football careers so that they can go on to the workforce, that's a troubling sign. Like, you know, is, is, you talk about problem getting Canadians out. How about it? Not be because of competition; it's because of regular jobs. You want these guys to be able to at least be able to combat that and get the top Canadians available, right?
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh,
7: so, so all that said, you know, I, I just, I'm not convinced the players, uh, you know, they need they need a little bit more. They need a little bit of, um, just you know, a sense that they matter. I think the, you know, I think the board is very, very serious about. Uh, where they're at in this. So I, I think going back to 2019, I think would be difficult. I don't think it addresses so many of the issues, right? If the owners want a ratio adjustment, uh, it doesn't address that at all. If players run guaranteed contracts, it doesn't address that at all. It would, it would take them so far back relative to where they are at this point in the negotiations. I just don't think either side wants to go there.
0: Yeah. Farhan Lalji with us for a couple of more quick seconds. I liken uh, I think the Riders went and got themselves a scratch lottery ticket yesterday. If it works out, boom, they hit the $25,000 jackpot. If it doesn't, well, we just move on. Charleston Hughes, what do you think about that signing? I know back in 2013, the Riders added a 38-year-old guy. Uh, He was so-so in the regular season, but when the playoffs and big games came around, G. Roy Simon showed up. This guy, Charleston Hughes, knows Shiver's defense. I think you know there's there's no loss bringing him to camp.
7: Yeah, you know and they get him on a on a team friendly deal. Um, I, yeah, you're right. It's it's the scratch ticket, right? And you know the one thing we find out about about CFL players, pass rushers, they do get better with age. I mean, there is a point of diminishing returns there. And I think last year Hughes was one of the players that was really affected by the layoff. Whereas this year, uh, from all reports I've been given, he really looks fit and he he's absolutely ready. For this opportunity. So I think he's going to have a good year. Do I think he's going to lead the league in sacks? I don't, but I do think he's going to give uh, the riders an upgrade and is going to be able to, to finish his career in the fashion that Charleston Hughes should finish his career in as opposed to being a healthy scratch in Toronto last year.
0: Yeah, good point. Okay, let's get to some hockey quickly here. We're watching the Penguins beat the Rangers right now. That's a bit of a surprise fact. It's 3 1. Okay, but let's get to the Canadian teams. Tonight, Calgary uh, gets the decisive one against Dallas, the big game five. Do you think they pull it out tonight?
7: Uh, no, I think this is going to go ways. Um, you know, I, I do think that Dallas is going to find a way to to sneak this one out and get this thing to a, to a game seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like, Calgary's significantly better. Like, in terms of roster, people talking to me about, oh, well... You know, two years ago, this team was in the final, and they knocked off Calgary in the, along the way. Like, come on, guys. Right? Yeah. The Dallas Stars were the only team in the NHL this year that finished with a negative goal differential that got into the playoffs. Right? The Calgary, Calgary Flames were the second-best team in the NHL. Like, the NA, they are a legit team, and if their top players get going, mm-hmm. and, you know, you look at Johnny Hockey, I know it was a penalty shot, but he was active. He was really noticeable. He finally got that nice finish on that one play. Uh, you may have let the genie out of the bottle there, and as long as their top players can continue to perform, I think they'll find a way. But you might see a, a greasy win here for Dallas tonight. The other two series I find pretty compelling, though.
0: Yeah, what about Edmonton? They don't have Darnell Nurse. Uh, at times, they about played L.A. They've got the better team, per se, not that the Kings are bad. Uh, that's, that's, a real, that's a real head-scratcher to me, man, and that city will melt to the ground if they don't win that series.
7: Yeah, you know, I was on with some of the guys at TSN and Edmonton today. I almost get the sense that they have, like, prepared themselves for the worst because in the last two games, the LA Kings have been not just a little bit better. They have been decisively better in these last two games, right? If they had a lost last night's game, that would have been a crime because they were clearly the better team before, you know, Connor McDavid put them on their back at the end of the game and then uh, in, in the third, but then also... Um, didn't make the best of plays uh, on the overtime winner that, that, of course, Duncan Keith got got labeled a little more. But
1: mm-hmm.
7: uh, I don't think McDavid was great on that play either. But, you know, they have been the second-best team clearly. Their goaltending hasn't been great, and losing Arnell Nurse definitely hurts because it puts guys like Duncan Keith on the ice that much more. So, you know, could, could Edmonton pull it out? Sure, right? Their high-end talent is better than L.A.'s high-end talent and if their high-end talent can take the game over and can wind up getting a bunch of power plays it's certainly possible but Edmonton is reeling right now and and the, the Kings have been really good these last two games they've been full value they haven't been a team that's stolen it based on goaltending mm-hmm. or anything like that and um you know as far as the Leafs I didn't watch yesterday's game too closely I was at the Vancouver Giants Western Hockey League playoff game yesterday um uh, during that I watched most of the third period though and you know is this the one, right? Is this the one that, where the Leafs can finally exercise it, right? Uh, because if they lose this series now, it's going to be the ultimate choke. It really, really will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that series is going to go to seven games, though. I absolutely believe that is going to find a way to win at home. The teams in this series have managed to adjust really, really well the following night. And I think is going to find a way. And, um, and this is going to go to a, anything can happen game seven.
0: Farhan, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it.
7: Ballsy, good
0: talking to you as always. That's Farhan logie on the Western Pizza Hotline. When we come back, we'll hear from the Athletics Bill Shea and a sports ticker as well. This is the sports cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
2: You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the sports cage on 620 CKRM.
0: Time now for your sports ticker, brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right 781 8 1, 20, 90. Some baseball to tell you about. Jays lose 5-3 to the Yankees. 15th win in 17 games for the Yankees. My Padres fall on home turf at Petco Park to the Cubs 7-5. Machado and uh, Eric Hosmer, who's always been on the hot seat on the uh, trade block, continue to Hit the ball for the Padres. Problem is not too many other players are hitting the baseball. Right now, after one period of play, the Pittsburgh Penguins lead the New York Rangers 1-0. They're up three games to one trying to finish off that series. Still to come, Dallas Stars taking on the Calgary Flames. Series tied at two games apiece. And we've got the uh, Washington Capitals taking on the Florida Panthers. And that series tied at two apiece. And five minutes into the first period, we are scoreless there in Sunrise, Florida. Let us head out on the Western Pizza Hotline and keep the show rolling with Bill Shea from The Athletic, friend of the show. Uh, Bill, uh, first off, um, ESPN, you do a great business column. Your, your last one dealt with business. I know you've, we've talked sports cards with you. Uh, ESPN TNT, how have, how's hockey been going there in terms of the broadcasting the game, ratings, and all that type of thing?
5: Uh, well, I mean, this is the the first year uh, after their, their yeah. I think they were 16 years with NBC. Um, and uh, things, things were in the regular season were on an uptick, and we've seen uh, better viewership uh, in the playoffs as well. I, I haven't looked at the very most recent numbers, but everybody, I think, has been somewhat pleased with those. And, and that's not only a function of, of changing networks but as as we all remember the last two years have been very uh unusual in sports because of the pandemic that shut everything down and we when we did have games they had no fans in them for a while and literally everything on tv after a couple months of the pandemic the ratings fell to the floor um you know and last year we started to see recovery so the the nhl and and the nba as well wnba across the board we're seeing generally upticks in in everything
0: okay so the big story in terms of broadcasting tom brady has a job lined up he has a retirement gig and it's not like uh it's not like working at a golf course or something this dude's going to be a full-time lead analyst for fox now fox is not um they're they're kind of denying the rumor report that it's 10 years 375 million bucks what do you make of this though tom brady to the broadcast booth joe buck and troy aikman were too expensive but they're going to pay tom brady unproven 37 million bucks a year yeah
5: that's uh that was quite a, a surprising number i mean the the total amount would be more than he made playing in the nfl um I was, a, I was a little surprised. It kind of reminds me of, you know, back before the last NFL labor deal 10, 11 years ago when first-round top picks with, you know, some 21-year-old kid would get a, you know, $200 million deal when some rookies or, you know, some veterans you know get barely scraping by. Um, but clearly Fox is invested on this guy. They They think he's got the chops. He's never really done it um so you know it's a, it's a big expensive uh you know speculative move on fox's part but they feel confident and we will find out if he's if he's any good and and whether you love or hate brady you know there's, there's got to be some sort of great period will he, he you know everybody who goes on the air on tv or radio you grow into it will he grow into it
0: we'll see and will he be around long enough to grow into it and and the big question bill is will football be around in 2092 when he's done playing to to go to the broadcast <laughs> booth right like, like that doesn't yeah, exactly doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go uh next year mlb's interesting cuz they got a lot of well nhl's kind of the same they got a lot of bunch of different regional networks that broadcast games um uh, it frustrates some fans any chance like a big streaming service like an apple or an amazon might get into the 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 business of broadcasting major league baseball on a more uniform kind of platform type of deal
5: you know a lot of people have been been talking about that because the whole regional sports network system is is in complete chaos because of cord cutting, you know, and without getting too far into the weeds, yeah. there is a lot of financial stuff, you know, affiliate fees, user, all these different fees that sort of happen under the surface. And that's why your cable bill looks like it. It does. Yeah. Um, and as people are getting away from that, just going to, you know, Disney plus or, or whatever um, these RSNs are under financial pressure and they have all these, you know, huge fees that they pay to the teams for the rights to broadcast, you know, However many of their games they do in baseball, hockey and uh, basketball, you know that that underpins the finances of, particularly of those three leagues and it's changing as people cord cut and go to streaming we're trying to figure out, hey, what does the future look like And you know there's all the complaints about blackouts and, and things like that. So we're in a very big state of flux um, until the leagues and the networks can figure out how to replace that RSN money. Um, and cable still pays the bills for everybody, even with the loss of tens of millions of subscribers. Um, that money is still, you know, billions and billions of dollars that's underpinning everything, but, uh, it's a, it's a real wild West out there right now.
0: Any chance bill where we will see, uh, just, you know, a Netflix of sports where you just subscribe to a sports streaming platform and it's all there under one umbrella.
5: That, I think that would be sort of the platonic ideal that a lot of people want. Um, the The rights cost for that would be in the hundreds of billions of, of dollars. I mean, maybe Elon Musk could write a check yeah. against his future earnings for that. Um, I don't think any of the sports are particularly interested in being on something where everything is on something like that. Um, just because there's so many ways to slice and dice your product, your data, your replays, your highlight, you know, all that stuff that you could sell to different people for, for more money in the end, you know it's the, the question of, you know, competition and, uh, you know a rising tide lifts all boats, that sort of thing, um, having a, a single monopoly and I regulators would come in and put the kibosh on that too, because there, there'd be no, you know that they could just raise the price to whatever they wanted and you have no
0: options You can go to The Athletic and check out Bill Shea's great work, the Sports Business Mailbag, the latest uh, submission from him. Thanks for this, Bill. I really appreciate your time, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I always enjoy it. That's Bill Shea from The Athletic. Great guy. Uh, Always up for joining us on the Sports Cage. Coming up after 6, we go to Saskatoon. We got the Rookie Camp update from Murray McCormick of the Regina Leader Post. And we get to a little lifestyle fun before the show is done. Nice little rhyme there. This is the Sports Cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
2: Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Roughriders is on the Sports Cage. Right here on the mighty 620 CKRM.
0: Updating some NHL action for as we start the last half an hour of the show. The Washington Capitals and Florida Panthers enter tied at two games apiece. 7:38 to go in the opening period in Sunrise, Florida. Capitals have a one-nothing lead on the Panthers, and at Madison Square Gardens in New York, Gerard Gallant came into the game calling his team soft the last two games. It was a spirited first period. But uh, Gensel Banks went off of the uh, Rangers goalie from behind the net and Pittsburgh's got a one nothing lead. Still to come tonight, we've got the Calgary Flames entertaining the Dallas Stars. That series tied at two apiece. Down the highway in Moose Jaw, WHL Eastern Conference. Semifinal. It's two games to one for the Ice after a big counter punch victory by the Warriors last night. 3 2. The young uh, goaltender made some big saves for the Moose Jaw Warriors. That'd be 16 year old Jackson Unger. 38 saves, and Calder Anderson's shorthanded goal was the eventual game winner in that 3 2 victory. So game four tonight uh, in. Moosja joining me on the Western Pizza Hotline. As we should remind you, this show is brought to you by our friends at uh, spreads.ca. Um, sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to $250. Uh, head out in the Western Pizza Hotline, speak with the great sports writer for the Regina Leader Post, Murray McCormick. So you've been here, you told me, the other day since 1982?
8: 1982, exactly. I... Uh... Transferred from, to Moostraw
0: way back when. So you, when did you get on the Ryder beat, though, Murray?
8: 2008. That's uh, And I, I know it's a long story, but that's when Daryl Davis' uh, wife, Eva, had cancer for the second time. Mm-hmm. And I was playing in the Sandra Schmurler Golf Tournament on the 11th hole, and I got a phone call. So I was the backup guy. I got a phone call that I was going to be on the beat, and uh, I've been here ever since.
0: Yeah. So, um, I mean, replacing Daryl Davis, no easy feat, but you've done a great job at 2008 was the, uh, was the broken leg season for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders when they couldn't settle on a starting quarterback. And I had Ken Miller on the show a couple of days ago and I asked him that question, if he could do it all over again, would he go with Darian? And he kind of said, Hey, it wasn't all my decision, but I probably if I had sole decision, I would have went with Darian Durant. Uh, Ken Miller, one of the guys going into the Plaza of Honor. Murray, your thoughts on Ken going in. What a great choice. What a
8: great choice. And I remember that so well when Michael Bishop is here. used to say he had a $100 arm and a 10-cent brain. He <laughs> could whip the ball. Yeah. Michael Bishop had such a strong arm. And I I always kind of thought it was Ken Miller in his corner. So maybe I'll just clean that up a bit. But they needed a quarterback, and I guess they weren't ready for him. But Ken Miller, uh, looking back, we had our moments together. Every beat guy and a quarterback does. But looking back, I learned so much from him. I learned how much the players respected him. And I know it hasn't come, he used to always walk in the locker room and I was never there. And he'd say, Good morning, man. And that was just something that would kind of motivate them. He just understood people so well. I did a story on him with the Great Cup. He used to sleep on the floor of the Toronto Argonauts trailer because they had trailers out where they played, where they practiced. Yeah. Because he didn't want to spend money on a on an apartment or anything like that. And that's how committed he was. And just what a, what a great induction into the plaza of honor. And the other two, too, I know you didn't ask me about this. I'm going to give you my opinion. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Weston West Dressler, I look out over this field in Saskatoon and I'm staying at the Stabridge Suites and I can see the whole facility. And I still picture Weston Dressler working so hard in practice. He never took a practice off. And I, people used to say, what's the best part about Weston Dressler? Is says, the game's amazing, but he does that because he's so hard. In practice, and he really did very well. Mike McCullough and I've said before, as a as a beat writer, even an older one, you get go-to guys, guys you know you can go to, you can talk to, you can find out some of those things going on in the locker room. He may or may not share them with me. He may have to run off to do some work. But Mike was always one of those guys that was it was really good to deal with, and I'm I'm so pleased to see them going. and It's a great class, and it's to be a great night. and uh, I don't know if you would go back to the old days of the Plaza of Honor when they were a bun toss, a drunken bun toss. Yeah. They kind of cleaned it up a little bit in the old days here. So it's uh, new days here. So it's, I'm looking forward to that weekend of the, Three great, three great inductees. I think it's going to be a good party too.
0: We well, you know Mike McCullough is going to be uh, full of one zingers. He's the, he was the river extraordinaire in the dressing room, and even here in our locker room, better known as the <laughs> sports cage. You had a great. Uh, we did a uh, we did your uh, podcast rider rumblings, and uh, that's a great podcast. Check it out with Murray and Rob Vanstone of the Leader Post. Uh, but you told a great story. Now, as the voice of the riders, and I'm not just talking me; I'm talking 620C Carry. I'm we we're, we've. We are, we, we're pro riders. We're the voice of the riders. I try to call it straight. I've called the team out, but not to the extent where, um, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Craig Dickinson. Not, not that he gives me any inside scoops, but I make no bones about it. He's a friend more than just a coach. But I thought it was really interesting what you said after that 2009 game. It still haunts Ken Miller. He says he still can't sleep. Like, oh. it's tough for him. And you painted a great picture on the podcast. And, and maybe you can relay it for my sports cage listeners. When you saw him and his lovely wife, Marine, after the game, you said it broke your heart. Well, I, I remember watching the two of them. If, you, if you're on the
8: visitor's side of the uh, McMahon Stadium, you have to go up on ramp from the field and go in and turn right and down the hallway. And I watched him and his wife, Marine, walk up there. And he just looked like his heart was broken. I've never seen... So just, I've never seen that much emotion. It was so intense. And it was just watching that and thinking, oh man, I've never seen a man hurt that much. And I, I to be honest, I've never seen a team hurt as much as that and to be perfectly honest. I hurt too. <laughs> yeah. I thought of my second year on the beat, yeah. I'm going to win a referee. I'm going to win a great cup. Only one of four, which yeah. I can do that, unfortunately, but just the emotion that was on Ken's face on that night. And it's still, I can picture it in my, mind. I wish I was a better description on radio to how to say, but, I can still picture the two of them, Ken holding Marine's hand, walking up the ramp to go deal with us to ask the questions about what the heck happened. And yeah. I think, I think, I think Rob might have mentioned this too that a sign of the respect the people had for that man. We still don't know who the 13th man was. eh? like think about that. Yeah. And I think in a lot of other markets, it would have been somehow would have come out, but oh. in this market under Ken's leadership and that type of team, we still don't know. And I think that'll always be kind of on the another interesting part of this uh, 2009 Grey Cup. But you're absolutely right. That, that was just heartbreak, I felt, for Ken there. It's and, fun- we had, and I just felt for him. And I still feel for him. Yeah. It's it funny. So it's to fun- hear it, him talking on the radio the other day he just brought back so many memories,
0: too. Hey, it's funny, though, that we you know we do 30 for 30s in the NFL. I know you're a big Steelers fan. It's funny that yeah. the CFL wouldn't do, like, a magazine kind of show just on that Grey Cup game alone because it was... That, just leading up to that Grey Cup, it was a ten-seven and one Rough Rider team against a fifteen and three Alouette team, and they couldn't run the clock out. And all had a lot of different and great storylines. So yeah, maybe that's something yeah. the CFL, if they want to, you know, uh, take a trip down memory lane, they can they can go do that. Okay, let's talk about the present now. And first <laughs> off, before we get to to the to the rookie camp, Murray McCormick. How about your thoughts on the signing of Charleston Hughes? I liken it to a scratch ticket. Hey, I bought a scratch ticket. cost me 5 bucks. If I win, I win 25000 If not all I tried, we move on. That's how I kind of see it now. Charleston's really pumped to be back, though.
8: I think it is. And I also like what he said you know, I was talking about it. He said he's willing to play any role they ask him. Because I think two, a year ago, he may not have been willing to be that second down pass rusher kind of feeling, oh coming off the bench. I think he wanted to be the starter and be the guy. It sounds like he's more willing to do the role that helps the team win. And that, that was really a sign of, and I hate to say for a guy from 30, maturity in him who understands if he wants to play the game, he's got to give something up. And I really think it's it's a win-win for the Riders regardless. If he comes in the training camp, if there is training camps, and doesn't really put it together, they haven't lost anything other than he's having training camps. Other than that, they may pick up a guy, who's a great veteran presence in the locker room. I hear all the guys like him, even though the media has had our ups and downs
1: mm-hmm. with
8: uh, Charleston. He wouldn't talk to us for quite a while there uh, when he had his impaired driving charge, but that's okay. I think mm-hmm. we're all over that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a great signing. And I, I really, I was kind of thinking when I was sitting there watching on the stands today, you know, what a smart move by O'Day. And I don't think O'Day gets enough credit for the moves that he makes. And I think that people should take a longer, that's, and if it doesn't work out, they've still got some great defensive ends here. Because don't forget, folks, Freddie Bishop the third is still hanging around here.
0: That's you know, right. The Achilles four. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a good that's a very good point. So they have some good defensive ends
8: here. AC Leonard, I like Pete Robinson, Keon Adams. And you throw Charleston Hughes into the mix, boy, oh boy, that's a they're a better defensive line. That's gonna be a great defense. And I'm with you, Bobby. I think they can't lose. I would love to have that lottery ticket if he does well. And he may go around and say, you have got to tell people he told them so.
1: Yeah. So
8: good for them. And also, I don't think people realize this is a little bit off. Carl Charlton Hughes was really involved in the community in Regina. Yeah, he, he was. He did a lot of these football camps. He, him and uh, Mac Henry did a lot of these sort of things with kids and stuff. And, and I think he, he liked that. And I think it didn't happen in Toronto the way it did. And I think he really missed that aspect of being involved in the in the community. And I think he learned. Like a lot of other free agents do the grass is not always greener on the mm-hmm. other side and he, and I think he realized he made a mistake and now he's going to the riders saying yeah, come on back. Yeah. So-, so I think I think it's going to be a I hope it's a good sign. He's also I hope he's happy and just enjoys his last run around the league. Yeah. He's not I haven't got too many more left to him but yeah. I think he deserves another
0: one. Yeah, he seems like he's pretty excited when he was joining us in the sports cage yesterday. Murray McCormick joining us for a couple more minutes. Great writer from the Leader Post. Okay, so what did you see today at Ryder Rookie Camp? You were there, I wasn't. I guess my one question right off the get-go is, we know there's going to be a change in the hash marks. Was that evident on the field today?
8: It looks different. I'm sitting here looking at the lines, and from my angle in my hotel room, it looks like they line up directly with the goalposts. Yeah. Now, did I see a difference? Not really, because there's a lot of drills and just sort of throwing the ball. There wasn't really a lot of good way to get a good sort of measure, but it does look different, and it is I think at the game is I, I think you probably mentioned, it's a raw bag rule. Raw bag right. spent years hanging out on that wide side, wide receiver spot, just hoping someone would throw in the ball to get a quarterback with an arm. And now it's going to come part, it's actually going to be an impact in the game. It does look different. I think looking down I, go, I said, it's going to be a different game, and I maybe this is one of these rules, it's going to stand up i i'm a little i think you and i i don't know if they needed to do as much with the rules yeah. i think last year was just a bit of a down year because of things i think they should have given another year or two before they change things but it sure does look different ball to see that those two hash marks running down inside but touching the logo which wow. is weird
0: that's kind of neat uh murray this really there's not much the reason i didn't go up uh, it, it really is kind of just like a teaching three days, right? I, I will say exactly. this. Exactly. I will say this, Murray. I really believe this is the toughest league to make. You think about these Americans. They only have two preseason games. Sometimes it's in weather. Like the team, about 80% of the team, the coaches admitted to me, about 80% of the team's already picked, especially in a great cup year. So you, you yeah. have to hit the ground running. So these three days are boring to me and you, but they're important to these young guys trying to make this team on the fly. It is very important. And unfortunately, I'm going to say
8: one thing I learned is put on more sunscreen next time. <laughs> I, don't think, I can't remember the last time I've had a sunburn but I do. I'm feeling it right now. But I, I you're very – feeding from the Johnny because I'm watching the coaches teach. And that's what coaches are, basically, teachers. And they love this type of just situation where they're in a, right. a camp where these guys – and these are elite athletes. These aren't people who are just sort of, you know, dogging it together. These guys are special. They've been top of the league, and they're getting coached. And I think we overlooked that part. I don't know. Like, I was trying to think, what am I going to tell you about what I saw today? I saw a lot of drills. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of drills. I saw some nice passes, some good receivers. I saw a lot of drops. I saw a lot of drop balls. I saw a lot of bounce balls. I saw some quarterbacks that looked good and some that didn't look so good. So it was really an up and down day. I'm hoping tomorrow's better, but it's supposed to get rainy, mm. so I don't know how much gonna be able to tell. And it's Friday's it's supposed to be pretty bad too. But it's 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 a learning opportunity. I'm trying to find guys to send out, and I, I think I picked them. I know if people follow me, or if not, at yeah. McNuggets. I pick a monster every day, and Raleigh Ma. Oh yeah, so, 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 so. he looked great. He dropped some balls, but I, I just, I kind of watch off the guys who catch my eyes, and I go, that's he caught my eye. He was good speed, good hands, good catches. made some good moves, so the Rams are well represented. I didn't really see anybody else who stood out that much, but you know it's kind of tough with there's so much teaching going on. So yeah, yeah, it, it's and we. I think we're going to have to ban the word boring from football after going through 2020 when we didn't have any
0: football. So any football is better than no football. Bingo. Policy. Bingo, Murray McCormick. Positivity to end this interview. Maybe we'll catch up with you on Friday, but for sure I'll run into you on Sunday. I hold out hope we'll get a deal done with this CBA. Oh, me too. Hey, man, we got to roll. Thanks for your time, Murray. I appreciate it. Anytime, Bobby. Give me a call. No problem. That's the outstanding writer for the Leader Post, Murray McCormick, on the Rough Rider beat. When we come back, we'll have a little fun, a little lifestyle fun. It's not always about sports here on the Sports Cage. Mostly, but not always. We're people, too. It is the Sports Cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
2: The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM.
0: And let's wrap this hump day sports cage up for spreads.ca. Talking some, you know, lifestyle stuff. It doesn't always have to be about sports. This is kind of athletic, though. A guy named David Rush set the Guinness World Record for the farthest distance balancing a running chainsaw on the chin. You can check it out here, he balanced it for 206 feet and 8 inches. No one had attempted it before, so Guinness set the minimum mark at 32.8 feet. I'm not sure how they came up with that total, but they did. Also the guy you hear in the background on this audio clip is a spotter on the racetrack calling out the lane number to help keep him centred
1: three two one go three
0: three three five
2: five four four uh.
0: come on Woo. 63 meters a running lawnmower on the chin that was terrifying Woohoo! Whoa. There's a new thread online where men are talking about the unwritten rules that they have. So if you ever wanted to crack the secret code of manhood, this is an exciting opportunity. Here's some of the highlights. Nod down when you greet someone. Nod up when it's someone you know. If a friend buys you a drink, don't pay it back. You buy the next round. Beer, pizza and barbecue is an acceptable payment for helping out another man. This one's obvious. Don't use the urinal next to an occupied one. Never roast a man in front of their kid. Don't start drama. If drama begins, take steps to de-escalate. Unless of course you're Darnell Nurse of the Oilers, you headbutt somebody and get suspended one game. If he's flirting with her, him or they, don't interrupt. And when your friend's crush is around, he's the funniest in the group. Now, I jotted down some unwritten women rules, okay? The point of book club is to talk about the women who didn't make it to book club. If a friend looks good in an outfit, say, Oh, cute! If a friend looks bad in an outfit, say, Cute! Whenever you fantasize about a guy, imagine him with long hair on a horse. Not, not Billy Ray Cyrus. Maybe Antonio Banderas in Desperado. I know, I think of Selma Hayek in Desperado. Only share your relationship issues with friends when reclining next to each other with fruit slices over your eyes while getting your toes done. And according to the Sports Cage, this is the top unwritten rule for the ladies. There's no such thing as too many Today is Happy National Eat What You Want Day. Now before you celebrate by inhaling every piece of trashy food in sight, keep an eye out for the things that you will eat that will come back to haunt you. After you let your dog take a bite, he immediately licks his own butt to get the taste out of his mouth. The ketchup bottle refuses to dispense out of pride. Another sign that what you're about to eat's gonna come back to haunt you. Before you take a bite, you gotta sign a waiver. That's never a good sign. It still has its head, its tail, and its collar. That <laughs> says Mr. Whiskers, yeah. That's a sign that you're going to eat something that's gonna come back to haunt you. And this is the top sign that what you're about to eat is gonna come back to haunt you. If you finish it, you get your photo on a wall with some really, really, really big people. And there's a list out now, the easiest jobs that also pay pretty good in Canada. Number five, optician. Now that's not optometrist, that's the person that helps you try on your frames. Massage therapist. Number three, a medical lab technician. Number two, a cardiology technologist. I think they take pictures of your heart. And the easiest job here in Canada that pays pretty well, Relative to how hard you have to work, a radiologic technologist. For me, it's easy. It's none of those. It's the bullpen backcatcher for the Blue Jays. It's true. That's a job in Major League Baseball where the guy or girl, I don't know if there are girls that do that, but where the person who's the Major League bullpen backcatcher earns on average about $110,000 American a year. So about 130000 Canadian. They just catch warm ups in the pen. They get season tickets to all MLB games, right? They're there at every game. You eat sunflower seeds, hang out with the star players, and you travel all over North America. And like a roadie for a good country band, you get lots of great side perks, if you know what I mean. That is the best job anywhere in the world. Except for, I guess, your knees. But I mean, it's worth it, isn't it? And that's our little lifestyle look here as we wrap the show up. Uh, Some odds and ends to get to coming up tomorrow. We'll be joined by Glenn Souter. We'll talk all things CFL. Hopefully we'll have something with the CBA to announce. We'll try to hook up with Bob Stoffer, the color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network, as they try to stay alive without darnell nurse uh we'll talk to uh, james gallo the moose jaw warriors Uh, hopefully we're talking about a 2-2 series tie with the winnipeg guys i know we're pats fans around here but they're the only saskatchewan team left in the mix and we always catch up with coach craig dickinson on thursdays we'll do that again the craig dickinson show right here exclusively on your voice of rough riders football 620 ckrm rider radio that will do it for my time The show is brought to you by spreads.ca. And if you missed any of this show, you can check it out in podcast form for Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism. Our province's older people deserve to live independently and affordably in their own communities and homes. Learn more and join the movement at skseniorsmechanism.ca. That'll do it for my time. Talk to you tomorrow. Brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, working to make affordable home supports for seniors a reality.
3: skseniorsmechanism.ca